I was just watching the news like last summer and just immediately after like, you know, a, a few days worth of, of, of watching anything, like I'm, I'm coming up with ideas and thoughts on, you know, how I would address this lyrically. Um, and knowing that a lot of people around me were upset with it also. So I was like, the, the, the quickest way to do this is just to put it out there and see who else wants to, to vent. We are back with a new episode of We Going In Presents. Today we're chopping it up with the legendary Breeze Everflowing about his new album, The Fierce Urgency of Now, where he's been, life outside of hip-hop, the battle scene, and why Stronghold was known for puppets. We start the interview with Breeze cleaning out his garage, and as we go on, you'll hear his son make some surprise appearances. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher, and please hit us with those stars on iTunes. Hit the links on ProfileWild.com for the books, too. Breeze ever flowing stronghold number four. How you doing today? Doing good, man. It's coming out the uh, the garage. That's the noise that we're hearing. I needed a little more light and a little more air. It started to get dusty. I started to feel it in my lungs. So what are you what are you going through right now? But I haven't room? given. Um, is is it is you it know, all the all the stuff that shouldn't have followed us here in the first place <laughs> you know what i'm saying like uh, like all these bins with books and journals and uh, cds and dvds that are never gonna get played again um the only bins that i'm 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 uh, i'm definitely gonna hold on to are the comic book bins oh man yeah i, I bet you have some i amazing... still got about a couple of thousand left oh wow I bet you I used guys... to have like ten thousand, and and you sold them, got rid of them, gave them away. I uh, lost it being a dumbass. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I was saying earlier, that was that was back in the uh, the rap to eat days, and uh, I remember I got into a, a situation where uh, uh, I, I was out on the road, and I had gotten evicted while I was out on the road. Wow! How and then that... all my stuff was 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 out on the street. For how long? Uh, for about a month, while I while I uh, fought it out in the in the housing court. And did you just lose some of your books just through people going through stuff and passing by it on the street when you weren't there to actually get it? Totally. Now, yeah, stuff was just. Now, as you're going through all this stuff. Do you have any Stronghold Volume 1 mixtapes? Gotta ask, because those are rare collector's items that go pretty high on eBay, and they're not online anywhere. Um, there's no digital copy really floating around the internet for download. That's, that first Stronghold mixtape is definitely 
one of those really rare collector's items. Do you have any of those? I've got one. <laughs> one left. I think I, I sold the rest of them, like like doing shows and things like that on the road back in the day. And so I definitely have one left. I think I got one left of everything, with a few exceptions. So I got a copy of that too now. Penn came down to visit last summer. We're working on a book together, and he brought me a still sealed copy of the Stronghold Volume 1 mixtape. I could not believe it. Where did he have that? Like, where did he find that at? It was just part of his collection. Like, he had had it, and I've always been bugging him all the time about, Pen Pen, you have that Stronghold Volume 1. Can you rip that for me? I really want to hear it. Because back in the day, I was able to download it. But you remember, like, when you were downloading music, how it might cut off after, like, a certain time if the other person disconnected their computer? So I only got, like, up to track seven or eight. So I never had the actual full mixtape. And so I've been bugging him all the time. For the, for the actual? Yeah. And just like, I, I, I didn't, it didn't bother me if I didn't have the actual copy copy, you know, as long as I had the music. But he brought me an official copy, which was incredible. With the, with the, with the, that was the one with the, we had the castle fish coming out of the ground, the big castle character. I still have that artwork. Yep. Yeah, because you, you did it, right? Like the, yeah, I got the artboard board that I did that on. So I still have that. And um, I remember that was like one of the first times I used Photoshop also to like do graphics. I was like self-teaching self, self myself that. It's incredible. And what I love about it, I'm looking at it right now. You had that stronghold NYC at AOL.com email address, which I think Penn was yes. using, right? I think that was Penn, right? It was um, self-index. Self-index is using that one. And so one question, I'm looking at this inside uh, liner, and it says that you're basically a full entertainment service provider. Writers, promotion, graphic artists, vocalists, producers, DJs, on-screen talent, and dancers. But then this one that's definitely like... In a little bit, little man. This one, it just says... Sorry about that. Puppet Makers. Puppet Makers is one of the entertainment services that you guys are offering. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? We used to um, have um, Penn's roommate, this dude, Bam. Bam used to make puppets. Wow. And they were amazing puppets. Like he made like a Tupac puppet, a Biggie puppet. And um, I remember they used to take him to like street fairs. They took him to that... Um, Remember Dave Chappelle did that um that block party uh-huh. in Brooklyn that time with the Fugees. So they brought the puppets there and did like street interviews with people. <laughs> it's just funny. I I didn't even remember that that was part of the credits inside of it. <laughs> it is. And it's like, it's one of those things. It's like one of these things just doesn't seem to belong. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'll um, tell you this. Um. Look for um, Raheem Drinkwater on YouTube. Okay. That's Stealth Index um, doing uh, a character where he was doing like a, a regular ongoing series using the puppet that Neil created, Bam created, as Raheem Drinkwater. 
It was awesome. That's incredible. I'm going to have to find that. So do you think that you guys will ever put that mixtape out again? Because it's definitely one of those things that I think a, a certain group of fans would absolutely love. And it's just one of those, it's one of those storied mixtapes that definitely shows just the early parts of a lot of, you know, a lot of careers. Yeah. I mean, um, I'd definitely love to see it uh, just get out there digitally. You know, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. Because uh, it, it's pretty simple to do that nowadays. It's just about uh, whatever the setup fees are for it. But um, I think right now, I guess it would be more about just making sure that everybody's like on the same page and everybody's good with that. But it's worth it. It's just funny. Like, you know, you never know like what, would resonate or what won't resonate like that's sitting in the archive. And then for me, like, like I said, all my CDs and DVDs are all boxed up. So I don't listen to anything unless it's available in a digital format. But I bet, I bet so there's tons of music from back in the days that I would love to listen to again that I can't find on any of the streaming sites. Yeah, I, I bet. Most disappointing is De La Soul's first album. Mm. And Tommy Boy's catalog. Like, I'm like, why, why hasn't that been put out there yet? Right, with everything else out there. You think Seriously. That, you think that could happen? Yeah. So, Breezy, you know, you definitely surprised me with the fierce urgency of now your new project which is uh inspired by a line from dr king's i have a dream speech um definitely just a nice surprise man because I, I was not expecting another project from you and it seems like this one was motivated just by the what's happening in society right now and and our, our the climate of just the united states you know can you talk about what inspired you to really create this project and and how you were inspired by dr king's line yeah, um, it's, it's for a long time, like music was always about like, like the, the just finding the right circumstances or right conditions to like do a release. Like, even if you're recording all the time, like as far as like actually putting something out, um, there was always like a lot of, a lot of other people involved or other steps involved that would kind of delay the process. And, um, you know, like I told you where I'm at right now, like, you know, being fortunate enough to, to, to have a setup at home with, a, you know, some decent equipment that I can, you know, record and just create. Um, I was just watching the news like last summer and just immediately after like, you know, a, a few days worth of, of, of watching anything, like I'm, I'm coming up with ideas and thoughts on, you know, how I would address this lyrically. Um, and knowing that a lot of people around me were upset with it also. So I was like, the, the, the quickest way to do this is just to put it out there and see who else wants to, to vent, who else wants to get this out of their system. Um, and then set it up in a way where, you know, it's not a, it, it's not to profit us, but find something that it could benefit. So one of the collaborators on the project, Davey Tree, 
he's originally from the Bay Area, um, and he was one of the founders of the Mission Burrito Project out there. He um, just talked to me a lot about how they had done all this grassroots work in the Bay Area to support with the efforts of, like, you know, helping out with the homeless and just uh, social change out there before it became overran by the tech industry. And his key words were, you know, think global, but act local. So see what, what, what organizations you could support nearby. And that's where um, the Community Justice Project down here in South Florida came to mind after a little bit of research and talking with some other people that I know who are like active on the scene down here. And so with the cause and like with a, with a concept and with a, a ton of people who were like, I'm down to do a verse, I'm down to do a verse, I'm down to send you some beats. Like it came together in like three or four months, which was, which was amazing. Just give me a second. Yeah. What's up little man? Okay, let's let it just dry up a little bit outside first, all right? It's still really wet out there. Sorry, man. Now you got so, um, you, being a dad, man, it's 24-7, right? <laughs> that it is. That it is. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so it was, it, was, it was cool just seeing how that came together. And, and you know, we, we, I, I, uh, I started using some new online tools that um, – I just discovered like one is called Lander, which is a, a mastering online mastering program with, with a really smart algorithm um, that gives you different levels that you can set up in a, a subscription based service, which made it really affordable to, to master the project after I was done mixing it. Um, and then the other one is uh, distro kid, which I was put onto by um, a European rapper that I know by the name of Nikolai. And, um, he was like, you got to check out DistroKid. It's amazing. Like, it's a real affordable way to do releases and get it on all the digital platforms. And um, signed up for that. And that's like $20 a year at unlimited releases, which is pretty cool with that. That's a great so deal. With, with all of that working there, it's like it, it, was, it was able to create this at low cost. Um, everybody volunteered their verses and everybody volunteered their tracks. So it all just came together really well. And it's also great, you know, so you, you got 80% of the album proceeds going to the Community Justice Project. What exactly stood out about them to make you want your proceeds going there? So the Community Justice Project um, was chosen for a couple of reasons. One um, is that they provide legal representation. And a lot of what was the, the focus of a lot of, you know, what, what, uh, what was uh, impacting me when I was watching what was going on was uh, what was going on with immigration, what was going on with the, um, the, the prison-to-school pipeline, which is something that they definitely focus on themselves. And then um, they support the Dream Defenders down here in South Florida. And I don't know if you're familiar with them, but the Dream Defenders were um, the first group of grassroots organizers that um, organized the marches um, when Trayvon Martin got shot. And so they've been really active in the neighborhood. The only thing is the Dream Defenders are connected to the Community Justice Project. But another thing about the Community Justice Project is that 
my company has a Benevity site where um, if any of the nonprofits are on our Benevity site, then the company donates matching donations for any donations that we submit. And in fact, this year it's two to one matching donations. So that was like really the deciding factor between either supporting the Dream Defenders or the Community Justice Project. Since the Community Justice Project already supports the Dream Defenders, I decided to go with them because then anything we're able to generate, the match would be doubled as far as, you know, whatever we made from the project. That's great. And you, you don't hear too many stories about that happening now, too. And so how's that going so far with the album being out and everything? A little disappointing, to be honest with you. Um, and, and, and not in the sense that, um, you know, there was two things we wanted to do, right? We, we wanted to, uh, to raise awareness and hopefully raise some funds for the cause. Um, I think we've done really good with the awareness piece, but it's just where we are. Like without a, a physical um, product or really getting out there and doing live shows where we're doing fundraising at the shows, the, the, the financial impact has been minimal. So as far as downloads, like we, we may have sold, uh, I just checked like uh, last week, we done like about $40 worth in downloads as far as people actually paying for the product. But then as far as streaming content, there's like, 1,700 people a day streaming content from the project. So on that end, like it's, it's, it's awesome that, you know, the, 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 the words and the, and the, and the message is getting to someone and it's resonating with a lot of people, which is, which is amazing. But in this day and age, that really doesn't translate into a lot of financial support for these institutions. Right. So it's almost disheartening because had I put more of the, resources that I put into completing the project into just a straight up donation, I'd have been able to make a much more of a financial impact for the organization. But on the, on the flip side, at least we've been able to raise some awareness. People know more about them and know what's going on, but it's just, it's a little, it's a little frustrating with where we're at right now. And it's, it's almost like, how do you make money as an artist if you don't go on the road, you know, 300 days a year? Yeah. And of those and, and, and of the people of my generation that I came up with, I, I can count on two hands the ones who are actually making a, a, a good living for, for what would be considered not even good, just a decent living, not even good, just decent, you know, and that means just uh, basic, basic necessities and, and health care and health care is a rare thing for most of them. Yeah, it's almost like don't get sick because the insurance just doesn't exist unless you're paying out of pocket. Um, yep. How frustrating is that? Because I mean, I know that's something Immortal Technique actually raised awareness about a while ago. Is just the lack of actual like benefits f for artists that you know you don't get. Yeah. You know, but in the workforce you get it. You know, if you if you have if you have a full time job, a lot of employers provide those benefits yeah man it's uh I, I remember i remember the days of like you know performing without a net 
so to speak. Um, you know, I remember going to the hospital and just dipping out, not paying the bill or anything because there was no way I was going to be able to do that and having that debt just follow me for years after that. Um, so that, that was just the reality of it, you know? And, and only going to the hospital when every single uh, homemade remedy that I've been taught throughout the years didn't work. And so it's, it's, uh, it's rolling the dice and without, you know, annual checkups and, and blood work to see what's going on internally. Um, I, it, it, again, I, I, I know a lot of our close friends have passed away over the last like five or six years. Um, and a lot of them of, of what, what are called natural causes, but, you know, I, I, I'm not one to, 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 to pry too much into, like, what the reasons are behind it. But, you know, I, I know a lot of them were, were performing without a net. I, I know a lot of them, you know, might, might not have had a primary, you know, physician or, you know, the, the health care and benefits that go with, you know, getting tested on a regular basis for, you know, whatever might ail you. And I, I'm just wondering, like, you know, if that were – more prevalent or if they had access to that, like w- would they still be here with us right now? I think that's a, a great question to ask, especially when you consider the lifestyle of being on the road and how much that wears your body down with the late nights, eating, mm-hmm. eating out all the time. You never sleep in the same bed. You're just constantly um, moving around and going from point A to point B. And a lot of times people aren't always taking the best care of themselves with what they're putting in their body, whether it's food or alcohol or whatever. Um, it's not always an ideal situation. No, it's not. It's not. But it's, you know, it's in a lot of ways, it's all they know. And it's, it's a better alternative to another lifestyle that makes itself available to, you know, a lot of the other people where we come from is, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, if you're not, a uh, 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 an excellent baller and you ain't got a chance to make it there, then, um, you know, there's very few outlets outside of that. And so music or, uh, you know, selling drugs become like two of the options that come up on the table for you. And earlier on, you know, you get exposed to both and you, you see that lifestyle. Like I remember the, when, when I was in elementary school and, you know, hanging out with a bunch of the kids there and like, you know, when the, when the first dude started hustling and how much cool stuff he got, in junior high, like the, the appeal and the, the attraction of it. Definitely. And so you look at, you look at all of that and you look at that lifestyle and you walked away from it really. And when, when we did our interview for, as he goes on back in 2010, you know, that was really like you leaving the game almost. And that was almost your final album. And you were, you were definitely just weren't as active in the scene and, you know, doing all the, the shows and, and the tours and everything, you know, what made you want to really fall back at that time? And are you happy looking back on that now, eight years later, are you happy with that decision? And do you think you made the right move? Um, no, I, I, I don't think I made the right move. I think I was, I was, uh, being reactionary. Um, I think a lot of it was, uh, was, was ego and, uh, you know, it it was uh, I'm I'm mad because uh, I gave so much to this game and it didn't give me anything. But I, I had completely the wrong perspective on it, and 
you know, two years ago when I, when I, when I, when I just started writing again was when it all fell into place for me. Like, like we talked a little bit earlier, you know, I was, I, I left to focus on just family and work. Um, and it was, and it was, it was cool. You know, I, I, I got married, uh, um, we got a kid a, a year after that in 2012. Um, but then like, um, in 2015, 2016, I started, um, not doing so well at work. And, uh, there was just a lot of frustration and, and just, just anger. And I was, I was like lashing out for like no reason of the little things. Um, and even my wife was like, you know, you, you need to start making music again. So um, my birthday rolls around December of, uh, of 2016 and uh, I reach out to DJ Static and I'm like, yo, my birthday's coming. Can you lace me with some beats? And he like sent me like some amazing tracks, like five or six bangers. Um, and I started writing and I started realizing like just how good it felt to just write and record and what it did for me personally. So regardless of like how much time I spent doing it or whatever, like this, this was like, this was my outlet. And I, I basically cheated myself out of enjoying it for, for, for about five or six years. Um, just because I was being selfish and stubborn, um, thinking that, this thing owed me something. Mm. So do you feel like you... And then as soon as I started writing and recording again, things got better at work. Don't you hate it when your wife is right? at home. (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason why we wiped it, right? Right. There's a good reason why. That's a big part of it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) dude but uh yeah that's incredible you won't let that one alone either i bet (laughs) (laughs) you definitely won't leave that that's something to say about that (laughs) yeah you'll never live that one down no 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 i won't i won't i won't i won't you know, and it's cool. Like she's she's super supportive of it even now. Like you know, when I need to I come home, like sometimes I I get home late and it's like I just want to go to the studio. And she's like, okay, cool. She's like, you want to watch the show? I'm like, no, I just want to record. She's like, all right, cool. Nice. That that's that's cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I go in, knock something out, and you know, start feeling good about about piecing again. And. Did you feel like there was any rust to knock off? Did you feel like you picked up where you left off? How was that getting those first rhymes out again? See, that's the other part that I feel like I cheated myself because I was always like, I, and, and, and our whole crew, right? Like everyone had their own lane. Uh, and, and there's, there's always been copycat rappers, like ever since way back when, like there were people sounding like other people. And that's still prevalent right now. Right. But there's also always been a lane for people just trying to create their own sound and create their own thing. And Stronghold was like grounded in that foundation of everyone's got their own style. And when we bring the styles together, that's when that dynamic thing starts kicking in. And, you know, uh, and it, it was part of the magic around us. But we each had our own thing. Um, and so 
I was constantly like trying to develop like a specific sound or specific voice. And I lost a lot of work on that, taking that long break. So not only was I rusty as far, rusty as, far as recording technique, so just getting back into the, to the habit and the right, the right you know, distance from the mic, the projection, um, breath control, like all the little fundamentals, which are muscles that if you don't work them out, they get, they get weak again. Um, but there was also like what I lost as far as like where I was taking my voice and where I was taking my music and uh, the kind of artist that I was developing into and growing into. Um, because I've always been a proponent of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of growth in this, in, in this music also that, that there, that, you know, I don't, I, 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 I get upset anytime I hear anyone who's 40 or 40 plus trying to sound like a 20 year old. Like, I'm like, there's no need for that. Like there's 40 year olds who want to hear you and hear what's going on with you at 40 and who are interested in what's going on with your life right now. You don't have to, to, to pander to these kids. There's grown folks out here who want to hear you. Exactly. So just with that, like, that's where I felt like I, I lost a lot of, you know, potential growth in that break. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working hard. I'm trying to make up the time. And I'm sure you will, too. But it's also great to, to hear about making music for where you're at, because I feel like certain artists, you look at artists like J-Zone and Tone Deaf, who both of artists, artists who I absolutely respect and love what they do. It's like their music today mm -hmm. sounds nothing like it sounded back in the, you know, the, the late nineties, two thousands when I first, you know, came into yeah. contact with their music, but it's like, I'll support anything they do. Same with you because there's that growth and there's that maturity and you, you can just hear that as artists, they've really like, they take the concept of being an artist seriously, I guess, which I've, I've always appreciated with you too. And looking at fly versus as he goes on to now. Wait, I thought we could play with you. Yeah. And I appreciate those guys for doing that same thing. You know, those guys have always been a part of like, uh, you know, pushing, pushing just a little bit harder and a little bit further and, and not really going with the crowd. Um, and the fact that they're still going and they're still in their own lanes, like that's inspiring right there. But again, like I'm, I'm, I'm upset with myself for not sticking with it the same way that they did. With maybe a little break for tone deaf, like here or there. Right. But do you feel like the fierce urgency of now is kind of that you've got, you got, you got your feet back in the game at this point and now you've got plans for other stuff. Is that, is that kind of how you're seeing the next moves happening? Yeah, yeah. And and um and doing things like um like more more project oriented. Like right now I'm I'm um I'm working on a follow up to the, the, the Troublemakers album from uh, two thousand and eight. Nice. So Dutch has been in a very similar zone. Like he he's he moved his family down to um the uh the Orlando area about four or five years ago, Gainesville area. Um and uh, he's just been getting situated. He's been working as an appraiser. And um, he's in the middle of um, getting back into his music also. What's happening, little man? In a little bit, yeah. 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 
Okay. It's starting to dry up outside. I don't want it to be too wet, but we got to do the bubbles outside. I'm on the phone right now. After I'm off, yeah, after my phone call, absolutely. Yep. Yes, and bubbles after. <laughs> Sorry about that, man. No, I mean, dude, bubbles in the house are the worst, man. I, I can totally identify with no, that. No, exactly, exactly. Like, <laughs> it's just been it's like raining earlier, so like we've got like a little deck in the back, and it gets like really slippery. So I don't want to. I don't want to be out there with the soap and stuff and be all all wet, all all over the place. Yeah, no, totally understandable, man. It's a delicate game. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. You, anytime you need to pause the interview to prevent that happening, just feel free. I no, no offense taken. <laughs> All right, cool. So, um, what was the question? I, so, so, um, question for you is, you know, how grateful are you that you have skills that translate in the workplace in the workforce to where you don't have to rely on hip hop to pay your bills and to be that nine to five and you can you can do other things and be compensated fairly for it and and not have that pressure of like i gotta do these shows or sell this merch or you know be away from my family for these next three weeks you know what's that been like that part's been awesome man like and 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 like you said the the part about the transferable skills um I, I started working in retail in a, in a, in a part-time sales position at, at, uh, at Apple. And, um, you know, it, it, I didn't even know what I was getting into initially. Um, but I knew I needed to get into something. And, and the part that kind of jolted me into that was, um, it's, it's something that actually, um, technique and I were talking about, a, a, about a few months ago. Right. Um, and um, just talking about like you know you know some some of the what happens around us and and, and some of our peers in the game, um, and I was a a victim to this as well. It, it's um at some point someone may want to do a study on um, the relationship between like independent music and and different forms of uh of, of mental health issues mm. because I, I i suffered from that i i was i was delusional in in my pursuit of music and in the way that i was thinking about it and, and and some of the choices and decisions i was making um in my life and um when my mom passed in in 2007 that that kind of snapped me back to reality but if not for like that type of a traumatic event, I don't, I don't know if I would have, um, would have caught myself at the time. And at, at, at that time, like my life was definitely spiraling out of control. Um, again, like I said, with the hospitals, like running from those deaths, but that wasn't the only thing. Like there were all sorts of things that I was just avoiding or running from and not, not dealing with. And so, at that point, I was like, I, I need something. And I responded to a Craigslist ad about a, a retail job in electronics. And I was like, well, I've always been a little techie, so let me see what I can get into. And it ended up being Apple retail. Um, so I, at least I, I got in to the top retailer in all of retail. And um, 
I was able to leverage the the skills I developed from like just public speaking and um, just understanding other people from like just being in front of so many crowds and having dealt with so many different different types of people um, that it made it easy for me to build rapport. And uh, I looked at my job like, you know, in my head, I was like, you know, it's, it's kind of like rocking. I'm just rocking one person at a time. And as long as they're happy with the show, then I'm doing good. Um, and that's kind of like what I, my mantra initially when I was starting out to kind of get me through the days. Um, but through there, like I, I've been able to advance to uh, a, a lot of different positions and, you know, haven't been in, in management for the past five years. It's, it's definitely, uh, uh, as far as companies go, it's, it's a really great company to, to be a part of as far as all the benefits that you've offered, you know, what I've been able to provide for my family with that, 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 that offers a ton of peace of mind, but I still leverage all of the skills I developed from spending so much time as a musician and, and rocking and performing um, on a daily basis at the job. That's awesome. And obviously, you know, being a father is incredibly important to you and something that, um, you know, you've spoken about in the past. Like I'm thinking about loving her off the fly album where you're, you're talking yeah. to your daughter and now she's, you know, you wrote that to her when she was, you know, a small child and now she's grown. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel hearing yeah. a song like that? You know, in 2003 that you, that you created looking back now, 2018 and like what you knew then, what you know now, um, how you reflect on yourself as a parent. Like, what do you think about that song today? Uh, it's, it's like a, a constant reminder of, um, you know, what I can't allow to happen again. You know, I, that, 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 that pain, that stress of, of not being a part of, of, of your child's life. Like, it's the kind of thing that, you know, there's the majority of people I work with still don't know that I have a daughter because it's just not a story that I want to get into or something that I I really want to talk about because it's something that so few people can relate to. And it's not like it's like a hidden thing. Like if they, if they really wanted to know, like just look me up on iTunes, you can find all my stuff right there. Right. Like I pretty much, like, like, like P said, I, I put my lifetime in between the paper's lines. You know, mm-hmm. it's all there. Um, but um, it, it's definitely like a reminder when that song comes on, like if, I'm, if we're shuffling through our, 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 our library and like it comes on, sometimes I can't even listen to it. Like the other day it came on in the car and I had to forward it because, you know, it just, it, it, it stings. But I'm glad I put it out there because, you know, I remember getting a, a message way back when, when that came out about somebody who was just sharing like how much it meant to hear that song and how they related to it. And honestly, like that's, there's no bigger um, joy you could feel as a, as an artist, as a creator than to find that you've created something that helps somebody get through something. Um, because I know that this music uh, is pretty much what, what got me through a lot of the tough times in my childhood. And so I, I hope that it still stands the, the test and that if somebody does come across it, is going through it, can find some comfort knowing that they're not alone, that it happens and, and it hurts. And, and hopefully, you know, things will work out in the end. And I'm, and I'm lucky, you know, like uh, 
not having been a part of my daughter's life and having been pretty much separated from it up until like honestly a few years ago when when she reached out to me um through like the the facebook messenger like there was pretty much no contact but having having haven't had her reach out and then the last time i was in new york like we got to get up face to face and it has been like uh over 12 years since i had seen her face to face you know i've been following her from a from afar and uh, online and stuff trying to you know see her social media as she got older um but always like separated you know and so seeing and meeting her face to face and like you know her telling me about how she's doing and you know she was doing she was doing really good in school still still doing really good working for like a, a a good startup company she had like two jobs like she had a really good head on her shoulders like that's luck right there man like i, I and and uh you know give thanks to her mom for keeping it together um and uh and holding it down um while i while i was scrambling to catch up on on back child support at my job and stuff like that you know um so it's 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 heavy, but like I said, it, it's definitely one of those reminders of of, of what can happen um, if you run from the problems instead of just deal with them. Mm. Definitely, I'm sure that's something that a lot of people today can can learn from. I mean, it's one of those things that is is one of those universal themes, you know. Yeah, it is. Um, but then, like I said, going back to the other part about the. Uh, the mental illness part, like I, I, I was just so far gone in in my delusion. So I couldn't even consider the ramifications of, of most of my actions. What do you think also causes that? I mean, do you think part of that is just, you know, being around like-minded people so much and then, you know, th- everyone starts thinking that they're larger than life and that their music is the best and, like... Does that happen? Do you feel? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I I I I found it hard to be legitimately happy for for anyone's success out, out, outside of immediate family and friends. Like everyone, I I I I found fault with or flaw with what they were doing or how they were doing it, trying to compare it to what I do. You know, I know I can definitely tell you how I identify with that with, you know, writing for hip hop game back in the day and then seeing so and so sent the exclusive to another website. Why didn't they send it to hip hop game? You know, firing out an email that you're going to regret, making a phone call you're going to regret. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, and, and then you sit back and you think about it like the next day and you're like, wait a minute, I'm arguing over like a two minute freestyle that nobody even listened to like you it it definitely get, getting some distance makes you realize how ridiculous some of the stuff really is seriously yeah seriously like i remember way back uh the, the hardest part was when uh when the the stars started fading and uh and uh, the the spotlight started shifting from stronghold to, to some of the other acts on the scene like I remember trying to sabotage Tech's career by not allowing him to be a part of a show because we were upset that he was representing for Stronghold and we didn't officially sanction him yet. And it was like, like what the fuck did we think we were? Who who did we think we were at the time? You know, like 
we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna sanction somebody for like representing us and and, and spreading <laughs> our name. So what happened? And I'm glad it, it got back to him. Like the organizer was like, "Yo, Tech, you know these guys are trying to block you from doing a show." So he stepped to me and he was like, "Yo, what's up with that?" And we had to have a conversation about that, and it was awkward and it was uncomfortable. And so, and he was understanding. The show went on. He was still on the bill. It ended up being like a really awesome show with us, him, um, and uh, Cannibal Ox, and um, and and still like ended up taking like half the crew on the road with him as his star began to rise. And to this day, it shows me more respect than I deserve as a result from it. I mean, Tech too. He he's one of those dudes who's just so loyal. I mean, he's still rep Stronghold, and uh, you, you know, Penn is Penn is always on tour with him. Like it's it's cool to see that those relationships from back in the day have have maintained today. Seriously. And and so did that relation? Did that clearing the air almost? make the relationship better after that when everything was put on the table and things weren't happening behind the scenes? Absolutely. Like a few months later, like I remember us going on the road together and, you know, I was able to see like his effect and his impact firsthand. But also like one of the things that I didn't key in, key in on at the time when we were on the road together, but in retrospect, I'm like, I wish I had more of was, um, uh, work ethic and business acumen. Because for me, so much of it was an escape. An escape from my life, an escape from what I was used to, an escape from the norm. Like, Tech, after the show, he wasn't looking for, like, you know, what was going on and who was who was smoking where. He was more about, like, you know, um, what's going on with, with the promoter, con- connecting with that person. He's like, I got my CD. Here's my mailing list. He was going up to everybody inside of the venue, getting them to sign up for his mailing list. Like, he was on it. Me, I was just like, yo, who got the weed? Where the party at? Yo, where are these girls I can try to get with? Like, I, I had zero business acumen at the time. And this is me having been in the game for like 10 years at that point. So I'm I'm guessing that you would you would agree that Stronghold could have been much bigger than it was. Absolutely, and we had some opportunities too. Like I think the, the one opportunity when I think back on it that I regret the most is um, when we had these. Uh, I forget their names. Penn probably remembers who they are. Penn remembers everybody. But there were these two guys who worked for like some either a magazine or an organization. And they offered to manage us. They were really interested in what we were doing. And they wanted to manage the group. And we had been self-managed up until that time. And we had weekly meetings, right? And I remember the meeting where we talked about potentially having them represent us. And there was just so much about, well, what are they going to give us up front? Instead of what could be gained from having someone outside of us represent us. And these guys were pretty solid, too. Again, I can't remember their names. I just kind of remember the faces and the interactions. It was a long time ago. 
but I wish we had taken advantage of the opportunity to have someone represent us outside of ourselves. No doubt. You know, how are the relationships today? I mean, I know you and Tech are still cool because you talked about you know just speaking with him a couple of months ago. How how is everybody today? You know, because is everybody still around? Are you are you in contact with everybody? Um, to an extent, like there's there's no love lost with anyone along the way, but everybody's busy in their own lives and what they're doing. But as soon as we see each other, it's like we haven't missed a step. We're right back where we were before. And there's no love lost. And that's one thing that's that's kind of amazing. It's it's like we were all part of this really cool fraternity. And no matter what, we got each other's back. That's awesome. And you know we had to talk about your battles uh, because, one, Penn has really done so well in the battle game and as a host and um people that you're that you were you know cool with like ph found a new lane with battling you know have have folks tried to get you back in that scene based on your success as a battle mc especially with those blaze battles no and i'm kind of glad too because I've been a, a bit of a critic of the, the battles and the battle team. So you have no- and my main criticism is it's it's the the long term effects of it. it. It's like there's a PTSD factor in, involved in battle. And there's but so much you can take. And I know how it lingers and how it feels, especially after that that, that, that scribble jam battle that I lost spectacularly uh, to that kid Swan back in the days. Like just how that felt afterwards, and how much how long that lingered for, like made me realize how I might have made other people feel. <laughs> for one thing, right? Um, but then, like how long does it last before there's someone else and you can only remain relevant in there for but so long before everyone's got your number and your history and everything in your life becomes a target or a victim of what could potentially happen. But getting into battling is almost like getting into politics. You really got to count the cost before you do either one. And anything in your past is going to get dug up eventually. Everything, everything. If not your past, then your current. And you know, watching the battles. I too, admire those who could stick in it. Yeah, man. It's like there's it, some really good stuff going on. These guys are amazing. I love the fact that they get time to prep now. <laughs> that would have been awesome back in the day. Instead of just like getting through a round and finding out who you're going up against at a, at a, at a coin toss or a name pulled out of a hat. It's almost like too much prep, though, where it's almost too scripted at some point because it, it takes some of that MC challenge out of it. Oh, totally. Oh, totally. And that's what I actually moved more towards. Like when I left the battle scene was 
I started doing more of the um, the MC challenges that the EO Dub guys. Yeah, the EO Dub. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I got my my um, my taste for competition. Because it was more about back then, battling was more about proving who the doper MC was, not who's got the best jokes, right? And it was all like skill, technique, like how you flowed, like, you know, everything was a part of that. And that's what I loved about the MC challenge. They had like five different rounds, an acapella round, freestyle round, like, and you're getting scored in each area to see if like you're the best overall MC. And so I think I, I won my last like grand challenge, like right after my 40th birthday. And that felt awesome. And that's a lot harder in a lot in a lot of sense because you can't just have punchline after punchline. You have to actually string thoughts and co coherent ideas together, um, for the most part. You know, you, you you've got two rounds that you can prep for. The other three are literally one of them is called the grab bag. So that round's up for grabs, like you're pulling stuff out of a bag and rapping about it. Like there's no prep for that. Then there's a cypher round at the end where you're going four bars back and forth with like two or three other people. And even if you come with some, some prep fours, like the more effective fours are the ones that play off of the last person's bar. And so like for me like that, I, I, I'm getting excited now thinking about it. Like at, at 47, I would do another MC challenge way before I would do a battle. Mm. So, <laughs> so right now, man, zero interest, right? In going back to the battles. Um, I can't say I'm not interested. Would I do it? Probably not. But heck yeah, I'm interested. Like I, I it, it's the competitive side of me, right? Like with that much prep time, like, what could that turn into? Like I, 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 I've always prided myself on being like a, a witty battler and whatnot, right? Like it, it really, it's all about the, the jokes and like if you can like just. Uh, but the wordplay for me was a big part of it. So you you develop like a rhyme scheme that that leads to a decent payoff at the end that has a a really big impact on the crowd because of the uh, you know, the rhythmic component that keeps them like synced in with you. And then if you deliver on that punchline, like it's, it's crazy. And so to be able to like control all that, like it's super interesting to me, man. Like I, I if, if I didn't have to worry about like, you know, my, my wife and kid probably getting dragged into it, like I'd be totally into it, but there's no, there's no boundaries right now. No. And I, I don't want like anyone around me dragged into that because it, it gets pretty ugly. And what I find so interesting is like I watch these battles online and like, oh, that was really mean. Like, oh, that was hurtful. And you watch the guys at the end, you know, always give each other a hug and props and um, the video cuts out. But what I'm hearing you saying is sometimes those feelings like it might look all good on camera and it's it's civil and it looks like they leave friends. But some of those insults and some of those lines really stay with you beyond just that battle. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, very much so. Like I don't, I don't watch the battles that I've lost, the televised ones. Like I, I may have watched them once or twice afterwards. My wins, I'm like Uncle Rico. Pop the <laughs> tape in again. Let's watch it. You know, like the wins all day, right? But the losses, I don't watch that again. It just brings me back to that space, and it feels terrible. Do you go back to that Capadonna video? Not so much. I didn't really like that one. I wasn't that good. But he wasn't that good either. So it was just like kind of like a blast kind of battle. It, it was kind of one of those. I was, was like super like, nervous. It was cool to see you battling somebody like of Capadonna's stature, but it didn't have that sense yeah, of a real yeah. battle. Mm-mm. Not now, at all. Now, one that I absolutely love watching um, is the pH battle because it's just you guys are both just so in your zone. Uh, I feel like it was just a great battle, and it's just you know, like Pumpkinhead man, like loved his music. What a great guy he, you know, like I just I loved working with Pumpkinhead. Um, you know, he's just a just a really great dude. Do you ever go back to a video like that? Because I'd imagine that would be hard to watch. I do because of the the artistry of it. Like PH's rhymes, like he he outrhymed me in that battle. Like I got away with the with the cheese in that battle. Like I got away with what what battles are now. Like I, I I'm 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 probably an, an unfortunate uh, uh, a founder of this this style because I I did get away with a lot of battles on punchlines more so than uh. Than, than technique and skill. It was but like those last punch lines in each verse of yours. That's it. But I knew that. That's like that was like my strategy, right? Like I I approached it like boxing. I, I always remembered like someone had taught me this earlier in life that you know when 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 the boxing match is over, like the judges are really focused on those last that last round. Like everything before, unless it was like something so spectacular earlier, like they just remember the last thing they saw. And so for me, like. Sometimes I had 14 bars of filler, but those last two bars, I would land them joints hard. Mm. Because I knew that's all I needed to win. So those rounds where I was on E, and I was trying to save some heat for Lonnie D, because that was a written battle right there. Like, there was a little bit of freestyle at the end, but, you know, that's back when I used to call the written the, um, the ramp. So you'd have a ramp. You'd have, like, a certain amount of bars for your ramp. And that would get you hyped because the crowd gets open when they hear you flowing and it's consistent and clear. Um, and then you start freestyling off the ramp because you're hyped up and the crowd is giving you that energy and that confidence to continue to stay focused and, uh, and on point. So Blaze Battle was all ramps. So first part of every rhyme was written and I would ramp into the freestyle at the end. And I was saving my best ramps just in case I got past P. So when I watched that one, like PH, not only did he have heat for me, but he had heat for anybody who was coming after me also. Like his stash was so deep. And so I, I, I'm a, I could recite his bars verse for verse because I'm a fan of the way that he was flowing in that battle. I've rarely seen him so focused like at all. What do you miss most about PH? That he was always genuine. And genuinely, um, like loving. Like this dude did didn't hold a, 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 
a grudge or at least not that I came across, right? Like you could see like, you know, everybody on the scene overlapped over and over and over and over again, right? And um, you could see like where the grudges lie over the years. But with him, like it was love with everybody and it was genuine and it was real. And if he didn't feel you, like he just got it out of his system. He didn't hide it, he didn't keep it to himself. Like he would just say like, I'm not feeling you. Or he'd shout you out in the song or call you out in the lyrics. Like, P.H. wasn't one to hold on to that kind of stuff. And I think that's what allowed him to remain so loving and open to everybody around him. And I miss that about him. And what I love about that video of you guys battling, too, is I swear you could see him smirking at some of your lines. Like, I think you, I think you definitely got to him, like, in terms of, like, making him laugh. Um mm-hmm. With some of your punchlines where, like, you could just see he was trying to, like, keep it serious and, like... Keep that keep that business face on that you know, um, but I, I I swear like you know watching that video that you can definitely see like that you made him laugh too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, we had fun. We had fun. Like that that was the, one of those legitimate you could walk away from like either way, and uh, and and still have love for the for the other person. And plus, we had we had run on the same scene for so long before that. It wasn't like it was the first time we met. Like, I knew PH, I knew the whole squad. Like, we were cool, like, Stronghold and the Plague. were like, uh, those are like our cousins in the game. You know, do you still draw and do you still... Um, it's, it's, uh, it's still an outlet for me and, and one that I, I had also taken, like, a little break from, like, doing art for a while. Um, like I said, everything was work for a little bit. But um, it actually inspires the music. So I'll do some art, then I'll start get, getting the Jones to do some more music, and then I'll start doing some music, and then after a while, like I'll, I'll start Jones and do art, and so I'll go back and forth. I'm learning how to do it all digitally now. So uh, you know, last year uh, um, I, 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 I got the iPad Pro for my birthday, and so I'm learning how to use that. So that um, the biggest thing for me with art before was like the setup part of it, like finding the supplies and setting up and finding a good space to work. Um, but now it's just all all in one, so it's kind of kind of convenient. And I'm just so that last year I did like a, a hundred day drawing challenge on Instagram, and all that stuff is still up on my Instagram um, with uh, with just where I was just practicing like my technique on this on this device, like with just comic book style art. Um, and then lately I've been working on a, a children's book for my son. Hopefully I'll finish it before he gets too old for children's books. <laughs> <laughs> Especially writing for kids. That's the other thing too, because you want it to be something they can pick up on their own at some point and, and jump into, you know? So what, what is your writing process like these days? I, I've got a few, uh, like personal rules that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to follow up with, like, uh, you know, I'm trying to be more conscious of my use of language, like understanding how that could limit the reach of, of, uh, of what I'm working on if I'm just excessive with it. Like, you know, every now and then, like, you know, uh, uh, a curse is appropriate, but like I, I was just very flagrant with it way back when. Um, but then like I think back, like I remember like I was that 10-year-old kid that was, you know, on the bus dropping F-bombs left and right. And then I walk in the house and I'm all like a little angel, right? Like, but I had the, the worst potty mouth, like since I was a kid. 
So it made sense that that didn't really leave me when I, you know, I was younger and making music. Um, but at, at my age now, I'm like, you know, I, I understand how other people feel. And in fact, like, that's where I'm at anyway, as far as like mental development is concerned. Like, you know, I'm at a stage in my life where I'm way more empathetic than I ever was before. So just with that, like, it's not my, 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 I, I don't want to offend intentionally, but I'm also not going to pander to anyone's sensitivities. But I'm not going to just use words that, you know, are just filler to make it sound like worse than it is. Like I could find better words. So I guess word selection is a big thing that I, that I consider right now, but I also want to keep it spontaneous. So oftentimes, like I'll just, you know, just, just go in the, in, the, in the home studio and, you know, put on the beat and I'll just flow a few bars start thinking of the next line, practice, play around with a few others, and then record another few bars after that and kind of piece together the verse like that first, listening to it for a few times, and then go back in and re-record. And then oftentimes along the weeks, like that'll lead to like rewrites for different segments that just might not have been as inspired in the moment so I could bring up the level of the entire verse. So hopefully there'll be a little more precision in what I'm doing. Um... And a, and, a, and a little less of those elements that are either really obscure or, uh, or really vague. So that's the other thing I was thinking about earlier, too. Like, I was thinking, like, like some old rhyme. I wish I could remember what it was now. But it's the kind of line that may be like, oh, um, this song, Luck Verse Skills, that I did with, uh, with Swave and, and Ike Peace. Um, that was on the, the Breeze These Trees album from, from 2009. That was, like, right before I did the as it goes on um and in there like i'm i'm like saying some bar where i'm like um manger pancake rom breaker um wait 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 let me go back a little bit further before that um you probably shook up like we don't get along like you owe me hella dough or i called you helio a telephone manger pancake like the flow was all right, right? But the reference, it was from a commercial campaign from Helio. I don't know if you remember it, but you know they were they were like, "Don't call it a phone," and it was like a, a the phone didn't even last that long. Like it, it fell to the wayside not too long ago. Um, but the Helio, their whole thing was like, "We're not a phone." So there's one commercial campaign where somebody in there is talking about, "Don't call it a phone," and they're in a French cafe, and then. Uh, the French guy gets mad at the English person because they're eating pancakes. And he said, manger a pancake. It's like an insult to him. So I'm referencing this obscure insult that maybe three people out of the thousands who might hear, it'll be like, Oh, I get that. And I spent a lot of time doing stuff like that. So I'm trying to do that a little less. Mm. It's gotta be really rewarding though, but also really frustrating at the same time. <laughs> it is but it's like um you know like especially with all that's going on right now like i i, I definitely want to remain like vocal about it even though i don't want to get you know completely just into that like there's still like i want to have fun with the music too and do some other songs but that component is still always going to be a part of it and you know if i if i if i want to you know help that 
as far as its reach, like I, you know, I just like I said, I, I just want to be a little more thoughtful about what I'm doing nowadays. Definitely. And so, what are the next moves for you at this point? Um, Troublemakers Project. Um, after that, um, me and a, a big beat from the Two Hungry Bros. We 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 did a, a project last year uh, called Deep Freeze, and um, we're working on a follow-up to that. So we got a, a, a couple of tracks already started. Um, and that's going to be heavy on the collaboration. And, um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to play it premiere from there. That's a, that's a pretty full play that, that might be uh, three releases in a year. And that's, uh, um, more than I've ever done before. No doubt. And as you get back to that garage, um, any chance you're going to find that five deadly venoms of Brooklyn mixtape? I never owned it. Never. Never owned it. I've only seen it. Oh wow! I didn't even know I was on it until way after it had it had, it had come out for like a few weeks, and somebody was like, "Yo, I just heard you on this mixtape." And, and and for anyone who doesn't know, that was the 1997 mixtape, and there were five DJs that all had a had like a side or like a like a piece of it, and and PF Cutting put Forsaken on for you. You were like one of the first couple tracks on the mixtape overall too. Yeah, man, that was super cool, man. I got yeah. Every every time, I think I've, I've thanked him like eighteen times on social media for that already. <laughs> um, but that was a that was a really good look, and we weren't expecting that at all. It's not like he had he was cool with like the little indie that I was with, or, or the you know the guys who were managing me. Like and he he just caught caught wind of the wax and you know just gave it love. That's crazy. And what what did that do for yeah. you? Um, I mean, it was the name recognition part of it that started to kick in and, and, and started like, you know, that it was just about playing off that wave. And, you know, I'm, I'm always super aware of the fact that I'm, I'm lucky that I, that I, I started where I did doing what I did because being in New York at that time and like having people willing to invest in wax, like that was a, that was a, a game changer back in those days that really separated me from a lot of other people who honestly were a lot better than I was, but they just weren't like, out there on the scene and taking advantage of the opportunities when they were coming up. 